I am afraid that I have much new. Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David. All right. Uh, first piece of feedback we have this week. Um, everyone in the world says The Mind Killer is the best podcast. Really? Yeah, they all contacted me and were like, this one's the best. I'm pretty proud of us then. All right. Yeah, pretty great. Uh, so our so next time we get canceled, it will be uh, on the grounds that all the problematic people, including you know Donald Trump, Putin, etc., all endorsed us as the best podcast in the world. Right? I mean, who knows what we're going to get canceled for? But that could certainly <laughs> be on there. You said next time was there. First time we got canceled. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that one time we had like way, way more listeners, and then we did. <laughs> that definitely happened. Oh, well. All right. Uh, follow up on this is apparently what we're going to do every episode is a follow up on the world food supply. Um, and Eniash has a story for us about Ukrainian wheat. I do indeed. Uh, Russia bl- is blockading uh, Ukrainian ports in the Black Sea, just normal part of war. Uh, but that also means that 4.5 million tons of Ukrainian wheat is not getting to mostly the Middle East and Africa. Uh, they are trying to put trains into service to take up the slack. And uh, right now, they're r- still ramping up, hoping to get up to 600,000 tons a month going by train eventually. But 600,000 tons a month does not make up for 4.5 million tons that are blockaded right now. So uh, again, pr- the problem isn't the, the growing of the wheat. The problem is the getting it to where it needs to be. And that does appear to be a major problem for the world. Uh, 4.5 million tons. Is that like a lot? That sounds like a lot. Yeah, it sounds like a lot. I believe it's like 9% of the exports of wheat in the world. Well, that was the total Ukrainian. I'm not sure uh, if that is all of it, but uh, it's a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Now, wheat exports are actually only like a couple percent. I think it's like less than 2% of actual wheat grown Mm -hmm. uh, because most of the time it's just not exported. It's grown in country. Yeah, Um, but the the important number isn't... Uh, for any given country, how much of their total wheat crop do they export? It's for ev- any given country, how much of their wheat crop is imported. Right. So like in the Middle East and Africa, it won't matter if Ukrainians aren't starving. It'll matter yeah. if they're starving. Right. So it sounds like, yeah, this could lead to people starving, which sucks. Yep. So let's, I don't, I don't know if any of us have a third middle finger we can aim at Russia, <laughs> but if you do, go for it. Well, uh, you know who does is uh, the Ukrainians, whereby third middle finger, you mean uh, Neptune surface to uh, surface missiles, because Ukraine is blocking, or Russia is blockading Ukrainian ports with one fewer ships now than they had a week ago. That's All true. Right. It's, uh, it's another one sunk, right? Or did yes. this, one not, did this one sink? It's on fire. Uh, last yes, I heard. it did. It okay. Did? Yeah. Okay. Which was the uh, the most appropriate ever use of the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. It's even funnier the second time meme I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's all. That's our only Ukraine update, right? I feel like everything else is just kind of the same. Uh, yeah. Bunch of fighting. A uh, bunch of Russia not making progress. Yeah. People who are like super into military strategy and stuff can. There's lots of stuff going on, but uh, I couldn't tell you what any of it means. Right, yeah. No, there's there's a ton of fighting if you're into that, but yeah. no no major changes. All right, well, then we're going to go to our... The big story that everyone's talking about 
is the Roe versus Wade leaked opinion. Yes. The second most important thing that happened this fortnight. <laughs> I think it is. Well, we'll we'll have that debate in uh, in our next story. Um, but if you've been living under a rock, the Alito opinion that purports to be a majority opinion, written back in February, was leaked to the press, uh, and it is it strikes down Roe versus Wade. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just says it was egregiously wrong when decided. Uh, there's no right to an abortion in the Constitution, and in, in, the court never should have held there was one, and it's overturned. Um, a separate leak says that uh, Alito, it's a 5-4 opinion, with uh, Alito being joined by all the conservatives except John Roberts. Naturally. Um, which, you know, I think I could have told you. Um, whether Roberts signs on or not in the end, yeah, maybe will, maybe won't. Um, but it's not surprising to me that he didn't want this outcome. Since this is a leak and not yet finalized, is there any possibility of one of the conservative judges coming over? Yeah. Do you think it's likely, I guess? No, not at all. Uh, I think the easiest target would be Kavanaugh. Uh, Alito is definitely not going <laughs> not going to change. He wrote the opinion. Not Gorsuch. It's his opinion. Uh, no, not Gorsuch. Okay. I don't think I know. Um, no, I think Kavanaugh is probably the the closest one, and I don't think there's really much of a chance there. Is Kavanaugh not Catholic? He is Catholic. He They're is all Catholic. Catholic. I mean, that's that was my opinion. I mean, that was my impression. But like, it's I'm impressed that a uh, conservative Catholic could possibly be convinced to, to come over. No, he's not going to be convinced to come over. That's the issue. Well, like, yeah, he's the easiest target, and he's definitely not going to do it. Ah, all right. Like, he's the most likely, and still very unlikely. Okay. Well, that sucks. Yeah, that sucks. Do you think that? Um. So I, I'm kind of um. From what I have thought, uh, heard, uh, read about, it does seem like maybe the original Roe v. Wade was, in fact, egregiously wrong, and I'm okay with that. I'm glad we had this multi-decade respite where we had full abortion access so that everybody can see it's a very good thing for civilization. But um, do you think technically uh, he's correct that it was uh, it was bad law? Um, it's not a good opinion. I actually reread it just today. Um, it's so it's it's sort of. Roe versus Wade and goes like hand in hand with Griswold versus Connecticut, uh, which was the one that held that a that there was a fundamental right known as the right to privacy, which was contained in the penumbras of certain constitutional amendments whose emanations uh, created a zone of privacy. I, I see those over two which words. the government could not. I see those two words a lot. Intrude. Are they literally in the in the rulings? Yes. God, that's terrible. Yes, it's very bad. Um, the, and the thing about Griswold versus Connecticut is that there is a concurring opinion that was signed on to by three of the justices, which is very good, which says, yes, there is a right to privacy. The right to privacy uh, is contained in the Ninth Amendment, which says that, look, just because we've enumerated, you know, all these rights in the first eight amendments doesn't mean there aren't other rights. Um you know, there's, there's, there are other rights. We just, you know, we never, we were not, we can't write them all down. So don't take the fact that we've enumerated eight of them to, 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 to call that an exhaustive list. It's not. Isn't the search and seizure one the one that would imply a right to privacy? Well, that's, yes, that's one of the ones that he said has uh, penumbras, which emanate. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, also, also, he said, you know, the Ninth Amendment got a shout out, but it was not grounded there. Um, the Fifth Amendment got a, got a shout out, the First Amendment. Um, and it was, it's, it's all a problem of originalism, which is a stupid way to interpret a document that, that is like the governing law of a country. Um, because it just doesn't make any sense to do it that way. The whole idea of originalism is that whatever the constitution meant in 1789 or, or whenever the, it was finally ratified, uh, is what it means forever and always. And, and I don't know why you would write something like, um, you know, you, you can't do cruel and unusual punishments if you meant you can't do anything anywhere in the future that's cruel and unusual now. Okay. Right? Like, I feel like by writing in cruel and unusual, you're sort of deferring to the future to be like, well, whatever they consider cruel and unusual in the future. Right. As opposed to, like, you can't do stocks and branding. Right. Um, and that's sort of obvious. Like, nobody actually does real originalism. Otherwise, you know, you could never apply freedom of speech to the internet or TV hmm. or anything, any technology that wasn't invented back then. Because you'd look at it and say, well, you know, especially with like freedom of the press. I mean, that just means the printing press. Right. That's like literally what it, what it means. How are you going to, uh, they didn't say anything about these newfangled devices like radio. But of course, we interpret freedom of the press to mean all ways of disseminating information yeah because obviously right because it's not about what was literally uh how it was literally interpreted at the time it's about the principle that's articulated uh and i think that so how does that interplay with the abortion so the reason it's overturned and actually the the and the the original Roe decision does this also is they like go through ancient history up through the English common law and into the early America to say like, okay, well, what did people think about abortion then? And that's how we got this kind of silly um, trimester distinction is they were like, okay, well, in the ancient world, a lot of it was about the baby quickening. And like, they seem to be okay with abortions before the quickening, uh, which is, you know, the first movement of the child. Mm-hmm. Um that sounds like a really stupid thing to base modern abortion law on. Well, yeah. And then they went through like the 19th century precedents and, and it was all like, it was all very ambiguous. Like there was no clear through line there. Mm-hmm. It was like, yes. Yeah, so some jurisdictions considered this, a, you know, a horrible crime. Some considered it only a horrible crime after quickening, you know, some considered it a crime after viability and some didn't think it was a crime at all. And, on this, they were like, well, we think that, you know, the right, we'll, we'll do this trimester. We'll, uh, we'll, so like a compromise. Honestly, it sounds like they were just looking for reasons to excuse what they already wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, that's most Supreme Court decisions. Okay, well, that's stupid. They should just say that that's what they're doing. Well, I think so, too. You know, I, like, we call these people judges. They're going to use their judgment. <laughs> and yeah, I think they I, should be clear about that. I agree that um i agree that most supreme court judgments are post hoc rationalizations but i also do definitely think that there's value in the pretense 
Because, like, having to go through some sort of independent reasoning process does, at least in theory, and I think in practice, refine the judge's thinking and the sorts of judgments they can actually do. Whereas if you go with the pure, uh, we're just playing Calvin Ball and we should admit we're playing Calvin Ball approach, then that can lead to some very bad things. Uh, looking at you, early 19th or early 20th century jurisprudence. Um, so yeah, I'm, I agree that, um, originalism and, uh, textualism to a lesser extent are kind of, uh, nonsense, but I also think it's valuable nonsense that we should probably keep around. Well, I actually like textualism. Uh, I just wouldn't append originalism to it, which and nobody really does that. Um, every Everyone who calls himself a textualist also calls themselves an originalist, but I don't think they necessarily go together because um, textualism, for those of you who don't know, is the idea that the text of the law is the only thing you should use to interpret the law. Um, extrinsic evidence like, um, you know, what legislators said in, in legislative sessions and legislative history and all of that is not really relevant to what the law is because the law is just what is written down. And I like that approach because the law is the result of politics and horse trading and, and, and things like that. So when you talk about what's this law's intent, what you're really asking is what's the collective intent of these 500 legislat- legislators or wh- however many it was who put it together? What's their collective intent? And I don't think that's a coherent thing because they all have a different intent. Uh, all you know is that the words on the page are what everyone agreed to, and that's what got passed. Um, so I think the words on the page are what you should use. Uh, I think originalism, which is the idea that what I was talking about earlier, I think that's relevant insofar as word definitions go. Like if the actual meaning of a word has changed since it was passed, then yeah, you use the you use the definition that they meant. But in terms of the scope of what they're talking about, um, I think you should just interpret that in light of modern sentiments. So going back to the main topic, Roe probably was decided wrongly in the beginning. Sorry, say that again? Uh, so back to the main topic, Roe was probably bad decision uh, back in, when it was first passed in 70, was three? Yeah, it's it's certainly not the worst decision I've ever seen, but it's not the decision I would have made. Okay. Um, I would have, and, and I would have made a different decision in Griswold, um, which is basically what the concurrence said, which is like, look, we have this under the Ninth Amendment. Um, I also would go back way further than that and say, like, look, the federal government, you know, doesn't have the uh, doesn't have authority to do a lot of this stuff. Now, um, Roe v. Wade was about a state law, so that doesn't really uh, apply there. But I would be much less worried about this if there was some um, some doctrine saying that the federal government wasn't able to regulate abortions. Because uh, right now, you know, it's get, it gets thrown... Well, assuming this decision holds up, which it almost certainly will, it gets thrown to the states. So the states can do whatever they want on a state-by-state basis. But what I'm worried about is either a national ban, which, you know, I think the Republicans would pass if they get a trifecta in the near future, or state laws that criminalize out-of-state abortions. Which is our, I mean, there's a lot of ways the Supreme Court could invalidate those, um, but I don't know that they will. I think they're 
f- five. I think there's five people on the court who just want abortion to be illegal and will justify it however they need to. Well, that is horrible news. Yeah. Now, I don't know that. You know, Kavanaugh or, or Gorsuch actually might be the best person who would say, um, you know, you can't criminalize. One state can't criminalize something happening in another state that's legal there. Uh, but we'll see. Didn't they already with the uh, there was a Texas law that lets them do that, right? That uh, the Supreme Court said it was OK, that in private citizens can sue uh, other people for enabling someone to leave the state to get an abortion. Uh, so the Supreme Court did not say that's OK. Oh, they didn't. No, what this we, we covered that what the Supreme Court said in that case was that because the state wasn't enforcing it, it was going to be enforced by private citizens. Mm-hmm. They couldn't issue a preliminary injunction because there was nobody to issue the injunction against. They issue they could issue an injunction against the state, which says don't enforce this law. But the state was already wasn't enforcing the law. Um, and if a private citizen tried to enforce it, then you could issue an injunction against that citizen. But until somebody does that, there's nobody to issue an injunction against. I... It was a weird procedural thing that it gave no opinion on the merits of the actual law. But yes, Texas does have a law saying you can be sued for getting an abortion out of state. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, didn't didn't someone finally come forward and challenge it and now it's mo- making its way up? Yes. Okay. I believe so. Um, Louisiana also immediately, um, they haven't passed this yet, but somebody introduced a bill classifying any abortion after contraception as homicide. After conception? After conception. Okay. So before implantation, so that would include IUDs, the morning after pill, um, uh, in vitro fertilization, where you like fertilize eggs and don't use all of them. What if you just store them forever, though, in a freezer? Yeah, I don't think you can do that with fertilized eggs. I thought you could. Can you? Yeah. Well, I guess that wouldn't be murder, but I, they don't do that currently. Oh. They just discard them. Um, the There's also an interesting provision that says the state can ignore any federal rulings about it. Uh, and it says, any judge of this state who purports to enjoin, stay, overrule, or void any provision of this section shall be subject to impeachment or removal. Isn't that Ill- illegal to do? Yes. Oh, okay. So the, the law itself is not legal. Uh, well, the law is not a law yet. It's a bill. Okay. Um, and I, I fully expect that those provisions will be taken out of it uh before passage if it does pass but you know i think something substantially similar probably will pass uh and it's it won't be good people won't be able to get abortions well people in louisiana and various other states yeah there'll be a lot of states um i think 13 states have trigger laws and a handful of other states have laws that criminalize abortion that were never repealed uh so it will become instantly illegal in you know 20 25 states well, let, let's not get too, um, I was about to say too hysterical, but that seems like it would be in rather bad taste given the situation. Uh, let's not exaggerate the situation. It would be impossible to get a legal abortion. That's not the same thing as it being impossible to get an abortion. Yeah, fair enough. Sorry if that's uh, too much of a spoiler for your troop deployment <laughs> class. Also, people who didn't get that joke, look up what the actual definition of the word hysterical you know that uh, argument kind of annoys me like the word has changed it's been several hundred years now it just means a crazy person no it still uh, means a wandering uh what is it uterus uterus wandering uterus yes your uterus is just flying all over your body (laughs) 
That's what I mean when I say it. I don't know what you guys mean. I mean, it's gotten to the point where you can call men hysterical now, but not women, because then then the, that's sexist if you said that, which is weird, man. Hysterical just means a crazy person. Well, the actual, uh, well, the actual reason I stopped halfway through was because uh, I was worried you would get upset for me making a pun. I... Well, we can't have that. I mean, I, I don't think that's a pun, but I, we certainly can't have that. That is true. Nobody wants to upset you. <laughs> so how bad is this exactly? Like, will will it really make all those abortions immediately illegal? Because I remember us talking a year or two ago about how all these Republicans are passing these things to get lots of, you know, raw applause lights, cheering points, because they know it won't fucking matter as long as Roe v. Wade is around. Uh, this won't impinge on anyone's freedom. Uh, and now that all these laws are actually going to be going through, they're going to have to step the fuck back or uh, reap the consequences of suddenly people realizing that it sucks to have these extremely restrictive abortion laws in, in effect. Well... Well, so the um, the different states have different laws, and not all of them are as bad as Texas and Louisiana. Some of them are, you know, they have like, like Mississippi's law that was at issue in this case bans abortion after 15 weeks. Uh, and that was, I think other ones, you know, some of them have just a blanket ban, all abortions, n- none allowed ever. Um, but many of them have like, you know, 12 or, or so weeks that you can still get one. So it's not it's not quite as apocalyptic as some people are making it sound. Um, but, I mean, by all accounts, several states' voters are very supportive of abortion bans. So it's not like they're going to suffer electorally for it. Um, the National Party might, and probably will, but they're already in such a good place uh, for the next couple elections that I doubt it will make much of a difference. Jesus. All right. Um, well, what does this mean for other rulings that are similar in nature, like Brown versus Board of Education, or uh, what's the gay marriage one? Ob- Obergefell versus Hodgkins? Yeah, Obergefell. Yeah. Uh, it's not good. It's not good for those. Um, you know, there's a clause or a, a paragraph at the end that's like, now this only applies to abortion. Um, it doesn't, you know, affect any of these other rights. So, so don't get your panties in a bunch about it. I think this is a direct quote from Alito. <laughs> Uh, but that's for lower courts. Um, that is that is a direction to district courts and courts of appeals saying, OK, well, don't take this reasoning and invalidate other rights on it. Um, you can't do that. But it has nothing to say that that has no binding effect at all on the Supreme Court. So if they want to overturn any of those rights, they could. Now, um, most the ones you named of those, I think loving versus virginia is the only one that is explicitly grounded on the right to privacy and i'm not actually sure that one is either um brown versus board of education and overschwell versus hodges are based on equal protection okay and the equal protection uh clause of the 14th amendment is is alive and well um that's the one that just uh was used to grant trans people um civil rights under the um the civil rights act now I can't remember the exact details, but I also heard some scuttlebutt that there was, like, one of the really bad regulatory rulings. I want to say it was Chevron, but I'm pretty sure that's wrong, uh, was also based on similar reasoning as Roe. On the right uh, to privacy? Uh, again, I can't remember the details, but um, uh, I, 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 it was 
a ruling that came from the same Supreme Court as Roe, and someone was talking about how, like, one of the good things that might come out of this is we might get those um, really permissive uh, regulatory rulings uh, walked back. So, have you heard anything along those lines? No. I would be very surprised if that happened, because the right to privacy is explicitly a limit on government power. Uh, I don't I don't know how a court could use the right to privacy to allow give the government more power. Yeah. Um, it, it might have been one of the um uh, again I I have like very tenuous memories of uh, what I'm thinking here. It might have been one of the um immunity doctrines like uh, on the on the theory that um government agents who are guilty of misconduct have uh, some immunities in their capacities as private citizens. Uh, maybe, like I could. It, there's no telling what what doctrine the court is going to twist to apply to weird stuff. Um, so if you can find that, then we'll do a follow up next episode, or, or we'll uh, okay. talk about it on the Discord. But no, I don't know of any. I don't know of any positive outcomes of this. We'll put it that way. That would okay. that would limit limit government authority in any way. Um, considering the right to privacy is just explicitly a limit on what the government's allowed to do, and removing it just allows the government to do more. Well, that sucks. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad stuff. So, stare decisis. The idea that uh, the government should uh, courts should be consistent, so people know what to expect will stay legal and illegal. Does this fuck that over? And if so, how badly? No, it doesn't. Okay. Oh, right. That was it. Sorry. Um. Thank you, Inyash. Uh, it was just. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was just arguing that, like, if um, if the court's not going to respect stare decisis anymore, then maybe they'll uh, start thinking about revisiting some of their um, biggest screw-ups, like, um, like qualified immunity. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, here's the thing about stare decisis. It's never really been taken seriously by the court. Oh. Uh, it's usually used in—it's basically a fig leaf or a pretext— that judges use to rule the way they wanted to anyway and say like, oh, well, we're respecting the principle of stare decisis here. Like, um, like obviously the liberal justices here, they wanted to, they don't want to overturn Roe versus Wade. They think a person should have a right to an abortion. So they're, of course, screaming, well, but what about stare decisis? Uh, but stare decisis is really never anyone's true rejection. Um, you know, I think that Justice Roberts right now is probably the only one who really cares about that. Why is Justice Roberts the best justice? He's not. He's not. <laughs> but the reason he sucks less than a lot of the other justices is because George W. Bush, when he picked him, actually tried to pick the most qualified justice he could find that was still a conservative. Um, it was, by modern standards, a very uncontentious um confirmation process you know he said i'm nominating this guy everyone was like oh well yes he's actually a very smart very good judge he knows what he's talking about extremely qualified you know i don't necessarily agree with his judicial philosophy but no one could really say he's not qualified for the job so and i think he was confirmed by you know very lopsided amount so anyways as a result of all this there has been massive amounts of protests and 
people screaming about the sky is falling, which, in fairness, I'm not sure it isn't. And uh, the culture wars are heating up significantly. But also, very importantly, uh, people might not have a right to an abortion anymore, which is a big fucking deal. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, just really bad news for the right to an abortion. It's going to be severely restricted. And it means that all these fuckers who've been sitting on their asses for the past five decades and not passing a national law or even a constitutional amendment saying that the right to privacy exists and abortion is protected really fucked up. And uh, maybe we should get on that. (laughs) Maybe we should get on that. Okay. Okay. Counterpoint. Right now, the, the current federal level policy is non-existent. There just isn't one. Right. And realistically, it's probably not going to affect the right to an abortion in, or rather the ability to get an abortion um, in California, New York, oh, yeah. blue stronghold states. Yeah, yeah, they're fine. And right. even, even if we do get a Republican trifecta and um, a federal law banning it at the federal level, well, that just means that we get more things like uh sanctuary cities and sanctuary states where states say no we're not gonna do that to the federal government and i'm all for that so uh i i don't think i think that people are smart they're willing and able to okay i don't think people are smart but i think (laughs) people are willing and able to vote with their feet they're going to um they're going to react to this in a somewhat sensible way and um and yeah i i don't think this guy is falling here and i think that the general uh trend of states being less pushovery when it comes to the federal government trying to uh trying to infringe on people's rights which i think this will accelerate is a good trend and i want to see it accelerate ayla had an interesting argument basically the same kind of thing that there's always going to be horrible right-wing people who will fight to the death to have these abortion restrictions and instead of making so much of all our national effort going to fight this um especially because like we wouldn't want them imposing their beliefs on us on a national level maybe just let them have a state or two that's shitty and people can move out of that state and uh and concentrate on other stuff and um not trying to impose our our shit on them either because it's just not worth all the effort yeah i mean i'm not entirely convinced that there should be a national right to an abortion um just because most of the time the supreme court establishes a right it becomes uncontroversial in at least a generation Mm -hmm. or at most a generation um something like gay marriage has become uncontroversial in like five years uh, where, you know, there's still plenty of holdouts, but they're a very small minority. No one else really cares. They're the people who everyone else in their party looks at them funny. Right. Uh, and abortion's not like that. Abortion, opinions on abortion have remained very stable over time. Um, so it, and, and, you know, we live in a democracy, and if, uh, with an issue that's this divided, it does seem like there can't really be a national solution. Or else you just get these culture wars forever. Uh, so for all the state legislatures who are legislators who I know listen to this podcast, if you can manage to uh, work things out so that your state has 
recreational marijuana, constitutional carry, and unrestricted abortion rights, or fairly unrestricted, uh, then I promise I will move to your state as soon as it's financially viable. Free state project! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, if there... Yeah, maybe New Hampshire will do that. Uh, Yeah, those things generally do not go together, which is too bad. Yeah. Well, there there is a surprising amount of overlap in uh, recreational marijuana and constitutional carry. I think there's like eight states that satisfy. Huh. Hmm. No, maybe one of them will uh, do unrestricted abortion, too. Like New Jersey, the best state. It does seem like <laughs> the best state the more you talk about it. But Colorado is <laughs> a very close second. All uh, right. Cough, cough. It's all wet. It's been cough, cough. Yeah. No, we're terrible on guns. <laughs> Um, all right. Anyone else have uh, abortion comments, or can we move on to what David thinks is the most important story this week? Let's move on. Because I'm right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> David, do you want to tell us about this story? Uh, yeah, so um, the Biden administration apparently thought that uh, 1984 was a user's manual because the United States government now has a Department of or a Ministry of Truth oh, pardon me, Disinformation Governance Board, administered by the Department of Homeland Security. And for some reason, some people think this is fine. I actually don't think I've seen a single person say that. I'm sure they're out there. The only person I've... But I haven't haven't seen anyone anyone, uh, defending this. But that probably shows what kind of a bubble I'm in. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. I also have not seen anyone, but maybe I only... (laughs) talk with reasonable people in fairness the only people i've seen defending this has been uh retweets or reposts so that other people can dunk on those people so they probably shouldn't count yeah yeah uh so the fun part of this is that nobody really knows what this board is gonna do uh it's run by a woman named nina jankowitz who has a fun background um she has a background studying russian disinformation campaigns um and also has a book about how terrible it is to be a woman on the internet um and also has a song Inias, do you want to tell us about the song oh it's uh the mary poppins song um supercalifragilisticexpialidocious uh it's basically just her talking about how misinformation is a terrible and insidious thing it's kind of fun she has a great singing voice but it's super right, embarrassing yeah Inyash, let's be clear. Yeah. She rewrote the lyrics to this song yes. to be about misinformation yes. on the internet. I mean, and then sang it. You know, she's got a great singing voice, and the lyrics are kind of clever. But like, it's just, it feels so very performative. And how are you doing, my fellow teenagers? Uh, that it's it 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 made me cringe. But I'm I'm I don't know. Maybe other people wouldn't find it quite as embarrassing. In any case, um. Pretty, pretty clearly a culture warrior. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, that we're putting in charge of the Disinformation Governance Board, which is exactly who I'd want in charge of that board, right? <laughs> yeah, they claim that this is only going to be about Russian misinformation, very much like the war in Ukraine is only about getting rid of Nazis. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, no, we'll never eat your face. <laughs> um, I think we'll just call them the Department of Cancellation. It's... I mean, the whole thing is just the stupidest idea in the world, and I am not at all surprised that it exists. Yeah, uh, I think, so, you know, the, so, the si- oh, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. So my my big question is, 
Does the Biden administration just imagine that the Republicans will never win a single other election? <laughs> or are they but, under the impression that they'll somehow be able to keep controlling this federal branch that they just willed into existence using only executive power even after the Democrats lose the executive? Well, I mean, when you're 110 years old, does it really matter what happens in, you know, the future? Honestly, uh, I think Biden has the right of it in this case because this is a government agency, uh, an institution which, like most institutions, have been captured by the left. Even if the Republicans do take control, like the point of this thing isn't for government to censor speech because government already has constitutional limits on what it can censor and what it can't. It's to put out a blacklist for tech companies like uh, Facebook and Twitter to know what they should censor uh, privately and what they shouldn't. And so it's Facebook and Twitter are going to ignore that guideline whenever it is not to their liking. But whenever it's stuff that they do want to censor, they'll be like, look, it's on the disinformation list. We are absolutely within our rights of shutting you down. And they will do exactly that. And since those are uh, left-wing institutions, I don't think they are a threat to the left. And uh, this makes a lot of sense if you're Biden. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I was saying before, it's not really clear what this board is going to do. It does seem like their whole purpose there is to serve as a, uh, you know, a justification for social media companies to uh, do their censorship. Yeah. So, David, do you have more to say about this before we move on? We may have. Yeah, I I think that the um, I, I definitely disagree with that more optimistic perspective like the the trend how is that optimistic uh, from the uh the the trend from the creation of this sort of thing uh which we saw with the department of homeland security and all those other national security apparatuses that were created after 9-11 is that they don't go away and their uh scope uh scope and size of their authority expands over time and so i am not okay just saying oh this looks like it'll be a a bit of a nothing burger for now so it's probably going to be fine because that's what all the civil libertarians said about the creation of the department of homeland security and look where that got us yeah, that's also a fair yeah, point. To be clear, I agree with you 100%. I also consider this a ministry of truth, and it is going to be abused like fuck in the future. I just think in the short term, this is in Biden's interest, and he knows it. But yeah, this is this is a horrible precedent, and it's it's going to be bad. Okay, yeah. cool. And it's, did, uh, um, did you it, guys all see that the uh, first action of the Ministry of Truth was to condemn misinformation about the Ministry of Truth? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> calling us a ministry of truth is misinformation. I mean, honestly, the only reason I didn't want to put it above Roe v. Wade, because I really do think that Roe v. Wade is far more impactful uh, right now. And it's a bigger story. But yeah, this is this is huge and terrible. Yeah. And I agree, David, that the, even if this doesn't really if this board isn't going to really do much right now, that it's a weapon lying around that someone can grab in the future when, you know, they drum up some more panic about disinformation they're like all right well now we have to give this board a bunch of power to 
do stuff. I mean, I would like to remind everybody that it was disinformation that COVID leaked from a lab. It was disinformation that masks worked. Uh, Later, it was disinformation that masks don't work. For a while, it was disinformation that COVID is airborne, because I guess technically it's not, but basically in common parlance it is. Like, there's a lot of things that have been disinformation, which it turned out were completely true, or even things that the government reversed itself on later. And, you know, that's not even... Touching the uh, actual partisan stuff like Hunter Biden's laptop. Yes, which is also which true. Which still kind of, which is still kind of stupid, but also clearly uh, not misinformation in any significant sense of the word. I mean, it's literally true, so it can't be disinformation, but it was called disinformation and censored as such. Well, I think it should be our mission then. To um, get our podcast on the disinformation list as quickly as possible. I agree. Somebody needs to, uh, I don't know, pro- what, do, what do you call when you're um, suggested for a disinformation list? Nominated? I guess it's not really nomination. Reported. Okay, there we go. <laughs> All right. Next story is about more canceling. Inuyash, you want to tell us about it? Sure. Uh, PayPal, as we were talking just a few months ago when um, they cracked down on and seized all the assets of the Canadian truckers, uh, PayPal has canceled two accounts of prominent, question mark, independent news outlets. Uh, It's freezing thousands of dollars in their accounts for six months and threatening to seize the funds entirely and uh, taking them off PayPal so they can no longer uh, get support from people from the public, crowdsourced support, uh, at least not through PayPal, which is the major uh, money provider right now. Money provider? That's not a word. Money launderer. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Payment processor? Yeah, maybe maybe that. Uh, But yeah, these two news sites are critical of the war in Ukraine. They call it American imperialism. Uh, They're kind of left-wing Noam Chomsky kind of people. I think the war in Ukraine is, uh, I mean, not great, but I support the Ukrainians, and these news sites apparently don't. They're just like, all war is bad and you should appease Russia. But, uh, you know, they may be wrong, but they have a right to say whatever the fuck they want because this is goddamn America, and censoring speech is the worst thing ever. Uh-huh, Ministry of Truth. And uh, PayPal is just like, nah, nah, fuck you. You, uh, you. you can say what you want, but then you can't afford to pay for food or heating if you do that. And uh, that's still freedom of speech, guys. So yeah, this is complete bullshit and is just this ever encroaching getting around government censorship by making it private instead through all the institutions that matter. Well, Eniash, I mean, Nina Jankowitz told him it was misinformation. So what are they going to do? I mean, they have no other choice. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this is bullshit. And I don't, I don't really know how to get around shit like this. I mean, you could make it um, illegal for a site to, for a public, for a private, uh, entity to seize people's funds or freeze their funds. And you could, um, you know, and we have public accommodation laws that prohibit that sort of thing from being done for racist reasons or sexist reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like it's unprecedented. Uh-oh. Oh, well, who knew? She heard about PayPal yeah, and she it, was very upset. Yeah, Roxy, this makes me cry mm-hmm. too. Um, well, step one is uh, probably to have a cabin in the woods with six months worth of canned food, kerosene, and ammunition buried in the backyard. I mean, that doesn't help you continue to interact with society. It can be a multi-person cabin. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> you're not continuing to do good reporting while you're hiding in a cabin. Yeah, I mean, the problem here is there's there's no payment processor that's not like this. Yeah. Right? There's... Like, I, I feel pretty 
okay having our podcast on Substack because they seem broadly supportive of the um, the concept of free speech, um, if not the le- the legal ins and outs of it. So I don't worry about us saying the wrong thing and then Substack being like, well, you can't use our platform anymore. Um, but their payment processor is Stripe. And from what I've seen, you know, Stripe doesn't have those kinds of principles. Uh, PayPal oh. certainly doesn't. Does anyone? I mean, I think this is very much a but my norms kind of thing. Like, this should be a norm of civil society, and people who don't uphold these norms should be viewed as monsters instead of, you know, supported by our own ministries of truth in the government. Uh, yeah, but they're not, so now what? I don't know. I don't know. So, you, so uh, I don't want to go, uh, go full crypto bro here, but this is actually a problem that you could solve with uh, NFTs and smart contracts. I mean, that'd be great if anybody used crypto for anything other than hodling. Uh, why do you need NFTs for this? Uh, Couldn't for, you just get paid in crypto? Uh, so it, that's specifically if you want to, like, pay out um, bonus content and so on. Or you basically say you have a smart contract where if you've paid in $5 of ETH uh, in the past month, then you get access to the um, to the bonus feed. Okay. I mean, I, d- I don't think you actually need NFTs or smart contracts for that. I think you could just, you know, have a platform that you pay in the crypto and it gives you your, your well, access. Well, sure. Yeah. I, I bring up the uh, I bring up the NFTs because that would actually be like a technological solution to the sociological problem where you just cut middleman decision makers entirely out of the loop. Um, yeah. But uh um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like I, I was saying I, before, I agree that just like having a platform run by people with a spine is also a solution. Yeah, um, but yes, I, I see what you mean. That like actually having a smart contract means you don't need you don't need to trust anybody. Um, but yeah, I don't. I'm not super worried about that. I think there are platforms such as Substack um, that you know aren't just gonna kick you off for stupid reasons. Uh, but yeah, there's no payment processes specifically, uh, except I guess yeah, you can do crypto. So uh, we may be accepting uh, your your subscription fees in crypto in the near future. We'll see. Um, this is but Eniash, This is like you've been complaining about this for months. I think I, this just happened a little bit ago. I know, but I mean this this trend of the right to transact being. Oh yeah infringed that's upon. it's a huge deal you, you i mean if you cannot transact you cannot live in modern society you could maybe live in a cabin out in the woods and hunt and grow your own food but that is no way to run a society you don't have an internet with that you don't have a population of seven billion with that you have maybe you know a few million humans scattered across the earth fuck that shit we're yeah. never gonna escape the earth with that we're never gonna cure aging if we're living like that very true um and you know the the whole idea of money being a thing <laughs> <laughs> people have to have faith in it or it ceases to exist yeah. um so far this is you know some fringe cases so it's not really casting doubt on the idea of currency but yeah i could easily see this getting bigger where you know people you know, their access to their own money is sort of contingent on them staying in the good graces of the powers that be so hopefully that uh doesn't progress any further than this but i'm not uh optimistic and it's not just the money even if people were to send you physical cash in the mail like if the grocery store starts refusing to do business with you what what the fuck are you gonna do yeah um that's probably unlikely like i said this is this is more a problem of their 
being not a lot of payment processors out there. Yeah, you, this is this this is a problem that capitalism solves. How many? How yeah. many? If and only if there is a um, a free market, uh, thick market of uh, of people who can compete on things like, hey, we won't take your money as long as you don't try to set our store on, or we will take your money as long as you don't try to set our store on fire and that sort of thing. Right, which in like any kind of sane market for financial services would be like, you know, a really good competitive advantage. Because the the one thing you don't want payment processors to do is take your money. <laughs> that's like the whole thing. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. Stops. And, and that's why I am much more concerned about um, uh, government capture of the financial system than I am about... Uh, private action because you know if this happens enough then someone will come out with paypal but for conservatives or uh paypal but for uh russian nationalists they already demonstrated that they can shut that down when they shut it down uh what was it parlor uh yeah like I google mean, amazon and yeah, apple but- all work together to make sure parlor died Everyone said, go make your own Twitter if you feel that way, or go make your own Facebook. And then it turns out someone tried to make their own Facebook, and they were like, no. No, you can't. Yeah, but now we've got Truth Social. (laughs) In fairness, that's because the people who ran Parlor were comically inept. Uh, That had as much to do with uh, the people who made Parlor failing to do their jobs as it did with uh, the admittedly fairly creepy... uh, um, collaboration between google and amazon and so on sure but if you make it systemically more difficult for one side then that's going to ripple out into the market and also the proposed solution at the time was get on a server farm in russia that is not something that would be very doable right now seeing as we're at war with russia sure not at war (laughs) yeah sure but the point the point i was uh building up to is as long as this is all just happening in the private market, like you squeeze the balloon in one place and it'll reinflate somewhere else, it's only in the presence of government action that you actually need to be seriously worried that the entire ecosystem might get captured. And that's why I'm really worried about the disinformation governance thing. Because uh, because there's no amount of... Uh, competitors in a free market that will allow the sort of competition which allows the freedom to transact in the presence of a government trying to suppress the freedom to transact. Sure. And I completely agree that in a free market of financial services, um, someone would start a business to cater to exactly the people who are shut out of the current system. Um, I only worry because we don't have a free market in financial services. The government is already regulates them to death, uh, which is why we have so few payment processes. So I'm less optimistic that the market's going to fill this need just because, you know, the government's already got its hands in in a hundred different places. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. My point is just the really worrying thing isn't PayPal froze these two guys' accounts. It's PayPal is willing to freeze these two guys' accounts in an ecosystem that's so regulated that they might not get punished for that as they should oh, be. Oh, they'd yeah, be that's, rewarded. That's these fair. guys were explicitly anti-American government. 
I mean rewarded in a way that rewarded slash punished in a way that matters. <laughs> he means financially. I'm sure they got a lot of people praising them on Twitter, but that doesn't matter because Twitter is not real life. Yeah, well, I mean, not according to all the people Twitter on Twitter. Twitter is not real life, Inyash. <laughs> There's 26 million people on Twitter that disagree with you, David. Which segues I agree on. with David. Twitter's not real life. Yeah, as long as they're on Twitter, I don't care. That segues <laughs> very nicely with our next story. Which- yes, our next story is that uh, Inyash's sworn enemy attacked his boyfriend. <laughs> Damn it, that's a good way of putting it, and I don't like being called out like that. Um, Yes, the New York Times is my sworn enemy because these motherfuckers attacked my community and attacked a uh, pillar of my community, and uh, I also, they're a bunch of liars, and I hope they die. Uh, (laughs) Well, I hope they first fade into obscurity and then die after a long life. And are frozen and revived when we can solve the problem of how terrible they are. (laughs) Exactly. And one of the people solving this problem is Elon Musk, which is why he's my boyfriend. But no, uh, the cutting, cutting to what I'm actually talking about, the New York Times published a hit piece on Musk because, you know, they're the New York Times. That's what they do. They don't like people who are in tech and uh, they will attack them just because they're in tech. Uh, the... Article itself did a really bad job of trying to be a hit piece on Musk because it turns out Musk is a great person. And and yeah. when they limited themselves just to actual facts and insinuations, some people could look past the insinuations and read the facts. And uh, the article itself says that Elon had non-white friends growing up in apartheid South Africa. Well, first, Eniash, what, what was the article trying to make? The case about Oh, the case I was trying to make was that Elon Musk grew up in apartheid South Africa, which is extremely racist and a very censorious regime, and Elon Musk was very influenced by that, so he also must be extremely racist and very censorious. <laughs> ah, okay. So Elon Musk is a racist. Well, this was the wait, 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 wait. Yeah. They said he was influenced by growing up in apartheid South Africa. Yes. You know who else was influenced by growing up in apartheid South Africa? Please tell me it was Hitler. Nelson Mandela. <laughs> yeah, I was say, I'm pretty sure it's Nelson Mandela. <laughs> yeah. There are other ways you can be influenced by a thing than by liking that thing. Yeah, but Elon Musk is white. Right? And a male and in tech and cis. He's got everything going against him. He must obviously be racist. Yeah, it was super gross. They're like, he grew up in apartheid South Africa, so he loved apartheid. And he thinks black people should be separate or whatever and are less good than white people. In fairness, they didn't say out loud that second part. They merely strongly implied it. Well, yes, it is the New York Times. Uh, But yeah, the things that they they actually reported on the facts was that he had non-white friends. His father was an anti-apartheid politician. He was bullied for standing up for black friends. He attended the funeral of a black friend, which was unheard of at the time, and he literally left the country so he would not be forced to serve in the apartheid military. So, uh, you know, basically a fucking hero. And um, um, I think you mispronounced racist. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and yeah, and their their headlines, especially on social media, said things like "In Musk's past, a South Africa rife with misinformation and white privilege," and that uh, Elon Musk grew up in elite, nearly all white enclaves, littered with anti-black government propaganda, and sheltered from the atrocities of apartheid. Um, so that that kind of thing is what initially went live, and then they uh, had a lot of people, especially on Twitter, the only place that exists in reality, point out to them exactly what they were doing, and edited things without saying anything about it just changing it real quick and hoping no one would notice uh, 
Well, to be fair, Twitter is the reality of the New York Times. It, well, yeah, absolutely. So what did they change? Oh, they, they, I mean, basically they changed the wording so it didn't sound nearly as fucked up. Uh, like that first one, that in Elon's past, a South Africa rife with misinformation and privilege, uh, they changed it to Elon Musk left a South Africa that was rife with misinformation and white privilege. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, New York Times, <laughs> never change, except definitely And when they were called out on their stealth edits, uh, their, their, I'm not sure if he was the head editor or, or someone not quite at the head, but said, uh, have you heard of corrections, bro? And uh, the only actual correction they've issued, which corrections in the journalism industry being things like, there was this error, we apologize for it, here's the correction. The only actual correction they issued was uh, a misspelling of a name. Everything else was just stealth stealth edits. Cool. Oh, and I also, I also see a note here about this, uh, the friend of Musk who was, who was contacted. Yes, I, I want to read this in its entirety. It's pretty short. A friend of Musk was contacted uh, for an interview. He said he'd be happy to give, you know, answer their interview questions as long as they would uh, publish in full this comment from him somewhere in the article uh, without editing it, and they obviously turned him down. This is what he sent them. Here's my best argument, which I think works for people on left and right against Elon's ownership of Twitter. Were Elon to take over Twitter, it would result in the private ownership of yet another major and influential media outlet by a member of the 1%. But why would that be bad? The best example for how this is harmful to America is the New York Times, owned and controlled by multimillionaire Arthur G. Sugglesberger Jr., the fifth-generation male heir to, of his family to own and control the paper. The Times is decried across the political spectrum for selectively publishing news and opinions supporting, depending on who you're asking, a neoliberal, white supremacist, and or patriarchal status quo. It gives little space to views that would threaten the entrenched system, enabling such dynastic control of one of America's leading newspapers, a control wielded for over a century exclusively by eldest sons of the same wealthy family. It never hosts content substantially critical of itself or its ownership, a fact that cannot be said of Twitter. So, if one considers such control of a leading media institution like the New York Times to be healthy for society, then it's probably fine for Elon Musk and his heirs, of five generations hence, to own Twitter. His altruistic contributions to enabling leaps in substantial transport and space exploration likely indicate that he is as noble and trustworthy a man as the publisher of the New York Times. So, basically, total ownage of the New York Times. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty good troop to play. <laughs> I, I, I guess I cheated because I have another other one. Oh, no, I know. Oh, yes, him. perfect. Uh, yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. And uh, <laughs> the New York Times sucks. Yes. Uh, I'm laughing because it looks like our next story uh, originally said Dave Chappelle tackled on stage by some dipshit, mm -hmm. uh, which is now crossed out and now says Dave Chappelle's comedy provokes violence against minorities. <laughs> All right. That must be David who changed that. Can you explain? <laughs> Um, yeah, I just uh, reported on the story the way the New York Times would. <laughs> nice. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, Inish, why don't you tell us what actually happened? I mean, the headline says it all. David Chappelle was on stage doing a comedy special together with Chris Rock and Jamie Foxx. And uh, someone from the audience jumped up on stage, rushed him, tackled him, and didn't do any damage, but running away afterwards before he was apprehended by security. Turns out he had a gun-shaped knife on him, which, you know, I, I guess he was a big fan of Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> and, uh, but he didn't okay. use it. Nobody got hurt. And uh, basically, this this reminded me of our conversation that we had about the slap heard around the world last episode. And uh, yeah, fuck, fuck, um, 
Maybe he actually thought it was Chris Rock. (laughs) (laughs) No, the best joke I heard about this was that this is like, this is uh, the most American thing to happen where a guy was trying to sneak a knife into a place. So he hid it in his gun. (laughs) Awesome. Constitutional carry. Am I right? You are correct. Um, all right. And Inyash, you also have one more story for us uh, about the ACLU. Yeah. I don't know about this one, whether to even include it, but a bunch of people who I respect thought this was a really big deal. So I want to ask you guys why this is a big deal. Uh, Amber Heard, ex-wife of Johnny Depp and abuser of Johnny Depp, uh, wrote an op-ed, I guess. In the alleged wa- abuser. Okay. Alleged abuser. Also allegedly wrote... <laughs> At this point, I think it was... um, No, not allegedly wrote... Oh, okay, I see what you're saying there. Gotcha. All right. Uh, But her name was in the byline of this op-ed in the Washington Post and uh, about how she was domestically abused. And Johnny Depp was like, fuck you, bitch. You're the one who was abusing me. So he sued her for defamation. It's in the courts right now. It came out in the court that that op-ed was actually written by the ACLU, uh, the... The ACLU wrote it for Amber Heard for $3.5 million, of which they've only received a fraction and probably will never see the rest of it, but that's besides the point. Um, And everybody says this is like a really big deal, and I'm not sure why. Like, just personally as a writer, it's a big deal to do paid writing work for someone else. So could somebody explain to me? So I don't actually think it's a big deal. I think it would be a big deal if you kind of ignored what the ACLU has been up to in the past five years. Oh, yeah, no, they've turned evil. Um, Because what are they doing? Why are they writing op-eds for money? That's not that's not their mission. <laughs> um, what is what does that have to do with civil liberties? I mean, for people who aren't familiar, the ACLU has been completely co-opted and is now basically I don't know, just another woke enforcement arm of uh of the left. Yeah, don't worry, Nash. They know we talk about it all the time. I wasn't sure if we talk about the ACLU very often. No, it comes up every now and again. But yeah, they've just been. You know, they used to do, uh, they used to actually be about free speech, and now they're about, you know, protecting marginalized people. It was one of the things that broke my heart because I was a huge fan of theirs and a supporter. I was too. Yeah. I was one of those card carrying members in high school. Me too, man. Although not in high school. I didn't have money in high school. I had enough to get an ACLU membership. Sweet. I think it was like $5. Yeah, well, you know. And they send you a card you can carry around in your wallet. Yeah. Uh, and it was great. And yeah. In the past, you know, five to ten years, they've just transitioned over to being like, well, we only um, defend popular free speech now. <laughs> so, uh, so sorry, unpopular speech. That's, you know, we have other things that matter more than that. So the reason this became a big deal was because they used to have a good reputation. Yeah, because people, you know, not everyone's gotten the message that the ACLU is a bunch of hack sellouts now. Oh, okay. And this is just evidence that they're a bunch of hack sellouts. And, you know, sophisticated, informed people like us already knew that, but not everyone did. Gotcha. All right. Well, makes sense, I guess. Uh, But yeah, here's another, you know, weight to throw on the scale. Uh, But it's pretty conclusive. Uh, the ACLU are a bunch of hack sellouts and are now writing op-eds for the Washington Post uh, for their donors. Yeah. Uh, all right. And one last piece of news. I didn't know whether to put this in happy news or not. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but I, you know, some people might disagree. But the Smithsonian, the uh, you know, our, our national government uh, museum system, has uh, announced that they're going to be returning any artifacts they have that uh, were not procured in ways that comport with modern standards. So basically, they're going to be returning all their stolen artifacts to the uh, their countries of origin. Huh. Yeah. 
which I think is a nice thing to do. I think uh, that was a lot of shit that we took under uh, not not very cool circumstances. I think it's good that we're giving that stuff back. Man, Indiana Jones is rolling yeah, in his uh, grave right now. Yeah. So my my the closest thing I have to an issue with this is um a lot of the countries that and this is mostly with regards to the uh British Museum the British equivalent of the Smithsonian a lot of their artifacts were taken from countries that uh don't have facilities that uh where they can be properly maintained um and they would be very expensive to uh, ship, and uh, the countries that they were taken from don't really necessarily want them back. So, conditional on the Smithsonian having actually solved those problems in a uh, reasonable way, I think this is great, but uh, I think there's a lot of like practical logistical work that the people who tend to shout about this sort of thing a lot haven't really considered all right well uh don't worry the british museum has made no such a similar announcement uh because then they wouldn't have a british museum (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure they have some british artifacts on display in fact i know for a fact they do they have a quite an impressive collection of viking artifacts that were found in um in uh i can't remember exactly where but is it great uh, britain it, it it is somewhere in great britain i was okay. trying to remember specifically where but um yeah they, they they actually have quite an impressive collection of uh roman and viking and so on mm, uh, well they also have stuff. quite an impressive collection of stolen artifacts <laughs> that they do how far <laughs> back does this go because like if the smithsonian had something from the aztec empire would they should they, I guess, give it back to Mexico, even though the Mexican government has nothing to do with the Aztec government? Well, Eniash, that's what's great about being a baby country, yeah. is that everything they acquired was acquired after we became a country. Uh, I mean, uh, so they're, they're only looking at the circumstances by which the Smithsonian acquired it. Uh, so, like, if somebody stole some Aztec artifacts and then held on to them for a thousand years uh, and then sold them to the smithsonian in a very you know up and up transaction i don't think they're giving that back okay i think they're just saying anything that we got uh in a shady way we're gonna give back all right i guess that sounds good yeah and since we're only you know 250 years old we don't have to go back that far the smithsonian itself is uh more like a hundred and fifty i think they were they were um teddy roosevelt right uh it sounds like his sort of thing um August 10th, 1846, apparently, was the founding. So not Teddy Roosevelt. Nope. He was a not yet born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, but not unambiguously good news. So, uh, yeah. so, but now we are going to move into the unambiguously good news in the happy news section. Good news, everyone. Yay. All right. Our first piece of happy news is a pair of studies that show that people aren't as crazy as you think and they don't hate you quite as much as you think oh that's very good news uh so the first one shows that uh people tend to overestimate the extremeness of uh views held by their political opponents um they you know uh a, a study came out 
from the University of Toronto, basically finding that when people consider and try to predict the opinions held by their political opponents, those opinions are way more extreme than the opinions in reality. Um, so whatever you think your political opponents believe, they probably don't believe that. They probably believe something closer to what you think. Uh, and the second study was from Nature um, that shows people overestimate how much other people dislike them. So all those people that you think hate you, eh, they probably don't. It's probably fine. So don't worry about it. Is that in general or is it um, specifically political? Uh, specifically political. Ah. So you, your political outgroup, everyone thinks their outgroup hates them. And actually it's, you know, not not that bad. Awesome. Yeah. Um, it's not that they don't hate you, but they don't hate you as much as you think they do. Okay. I'll take yeah. it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, and Eniash, you have a story for us about renewable energy. Yeah. Prometheus Fuels is a new company uh, that converts renewable electricity from solar and power into zero net carbon gasoline, uh, meaning that they capture uh, CO2 from the atmosphere and they put it into new gas. So when you're burning this gasoline, it's, you know, it, it is not increasing the total amount of CO2 that was in the atmosphere before you burned it. Uh, the cost to capture that CO2 for them is only $36 a ton, which is pretty darn good. The cost to manufacture it is also pretty low to the point that it looks like it would be profitable up to gasoline dropping down to $3 a gallon. Uh, currently it is. What? Yeah, I That's know, less right? than gas sells for now. I know. It's crazy. It's uh, this is why it's such insanely good news. Uh, that is very, very big, if true. Exactly. I don't love that they're uh, doing this using solar and wind because uh, those are both extremely dirty forms of energy compared to the best potential form of energy. But uh, still, not bad. I mean, it could easily be expanded to nuclear as well. Yes, because yeah. all it needs also, is electricity. I, yeah. Also, I imagine that. Uh, if we had a sensible energy regime that actually cared about the planet, then um, we could probably make this profitable to well below $3 a gallon. Seems in, likely. Yeah, entirely possible. It is right now it's in prototype, uh, but they're saying that if, uh, for example, 250 gigawatts of new renewable power is built each year, then uh, the, as they scale up, which looks to be entirely possible, uh, they could take 30 million cars off the road per year. Well, not take them off the road, but make them carbon neutral because they would be burning gas that, uh, you know, was not mined from the earth, just taken out of the atmosphere. Pretty, That's pretty good. Yeah. The uh, If we solve climate change, it's going to be technological. Absolutely. So... This is good news. Very good news. Again, if it pans out, it's in prototype. All right. And last piece of happy news, Enia. Yeah, probably happy news. I think we've talked about this before, but uh, based on analysis of how much it costs to maintain a nuclear weapon and specifically how badly uh, Russia was fucked in the 90s from, I believe, 92 to 98, they had basically uh, no functioning government and very little military budget. And even now, they don't have enough to maintain all their nukes. It's estimated probably half-ish their nukes uh, just don't work. A um, lot of duds. If they were to try to, you know, nuke something in Ukraine right now, they'd probably want to use several nukes or suffer the embarrassment of it just not going off. Uh, this is, I think, good because as we talked about before, the mutually assured destruction threat still holds as long as there's a decent chance of uh, nuking the other side and they have enough nukes that they could still basically wipe out the U.S. if they launch them all, but also makes individual applications of a nuke a more risky proposition, which they probably won't want to... Uh, risk being embarrassed by it not working. Yeah, I'd say on balance, this is probably good news. Uh, it's not like great news or anything. No, I'm not sure it's necessarily it's, happy. They can just, you know, 
They can just fire five nukes at a time on every target. Maybe we should have moved this. We should move this in post production up to non happy news. I'm not sure it's really happy. We're not moving it in post production. Okay, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> it's good news. It's just you know, it doesn't have to be the it's best. It's not. News. Hmm. Yeah. Very well. If I remember right, the entire point of happy news is that it doesn't have to be literally the best news to still be worth celebrating. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Enyash. I'm sorry. I lost my All right. purpose. <laughs> All right, well, now we're going to move on to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send a soldier out onto the battlefield every episode. And we'll start with David. Yeah, so um, for those of you who don't know, the Ukrainian ple- president, Vladimir Zelensky, first became a notable public feature when starring on the Ukrainian comedy Servant of the People a show about a high school history teacher who manages to get elected president of Ukraine and has to fight corrupt oligarchs to get things done. I'm about 11 episodes into the first season, and it's very good. Yes, this is a protest troop deployment. (laughs) All right. Thank you, David. Eniash. My troop deployment is about Roe v. Wade, of course. Uh, The most important thing that we should be doing right now is to secure abortion rights in our own states. Uh, Federalism is mostly a good thing. And while personally, I believe that everybody in the world should have a right to an abortion, that would require a lot of war and uh, political capital, which we just aren't willing to expend. Uh, but we can focus on our own individual states, especially if we're living in blue states. Get laws passed making the right um, protected by your state. If possible, put them in the constitution of your state. Um, uh, we we have 50 different states we can work on and get this in there. Uh, it's one of those things where you put on your own oxygen mask first and then you help other people. So do that secure your own fortress first and then from there we can start changing hearts and minds moving outward uh but also super importantly we can help other people that are in red states without even invading those red states or trying to force our uh values upon them specifically by helping them to escape red states there are people in red states who don't want to be restricted by abortion laws who don't agree with their government and they can flee those states to our states we can reach out to them uh, we can help them get here and one of the most important ways we can do that is making it actually affordable to live in the blue states uh, people are often moving to blue uh, red states because they are affordable. They don't restrict their occupations or their buildings nearly as much as blue states do. Uh, if we get rid of NIMBY zoning, if we get rid of occupational licensing so that poor women can actually find jobs here and actually afford to live in blue states, that would be a huge help to them. So uh, those are some things we could do. In general, start removing obstacles to dense housing, to employment, to people moving here and help them get out of those repressive regimes. As people see more and more red states declining, uh, they will become like the North Koreas of America and our position will be validated. So Wes, what do you think about the current thing? (laughs) Well, uh, my troop deployment is about what to do if Inuyasha's plan doesn't work. Uh, Specifically, it's about how to do self-managed abortions. Uh, With it seeming likely that abortion is going to be outlawed in a large part of the country, I'm going to be posting a Twitter thread in the show notes about how to do a self-managed abortion using drugs, not coat hangers. Now, this is not medical advice, and I have no medical expertise, but I think this information is important. Uh, Generally, the drug of choice is called misoprostol, sometimes with misopristone. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing those correctly. 
Um, these are serious pharmaceutical drugs, so you should definitely consult with a doctor before using them. Um, a willing doctor may be hard to find, but with telemedicine being a thing these days, hopefully a network of doctors will be established. And if you're listening and you are a doctor who wants to help people do self-managed abortions, please contact us and we'll get the word out. Um, for our listeners, I encourage you to read the whole Twitter thread and click all the links. It, ex- it explains everything better than I could. But I want to make sure everyone understands that depending on state law, doing a self-managed abortion or helping someone else do one may be a crime or it may become one soon. The fact that such laws are stupid doesn't change the fact that you could be exposing yourself to criminal liability, so please bear that in mind. One woman in Texas has already been charged with doing an illegal abortion on herself, so don't believe anyone who claims they only go after the doctors. If you live in a state where it's illegal, one thing you definitely should not do is get misoprostol from veterinary sources, where it's used to treat ulcers in horses. Yes, it's the exact same drug and available without consulting a doctor or jumping through all the other hoops, But it's against the law, and we at the Mind Killer encourage people to always follow all laws, no matter how easy and justified breaking them is. (laughs) Once again, do not go to veterinary supply stores to cheaply and easily get abortion pills if abortion is illegal in your state. Wonderful. Just make sure that the horse dose and the people dose is the same. We don't want a repetition of the um, hydroxychloroquine uh, hydroxychloroquine debacle, yeah. Yeah, but don't do that, because it's bad and wrong yes all right that's our show for this fortnight uh please follow us wherever you follow podcasts please leave us reviews wherever you review podcasts please subscribe on substack you'll get access to early episodes bonus episodes and you'll get access to our subscriber only discord channel and come back in two weeks same rat time same rat channel bye Bye.